as he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. If there's anything that can come close to being called a secret to Christian living, and we live in a day where there's millions of them, apparently. But this verse might actually contain something like that. It can be a life-changing verse. The psalmist describes a practice. It's simple. He describes a practice, and then he talks about the result of the practice. The practice is, I have set the Lord always before me. The result is, I shall not be shaken. And the whole point of the simple logic of that one verse is that I I can't have the blessing of strength, steadfast, stability. I can't have that without the discipline of the practice, setting the Lord always before me. That's the message of this verse in a nutshell, and we're instantly prompted by the Holy Spirit who first birthed spiritual life in our hearts to remind us that we need to give diligence once that's started. It's not automatically self-sustaining. There's something we have to do after the experience of conversion. I want you to think on these points with me, okay? They're not complicated. One, the key challenge of all spiritual life is to keep the Lord in his proper place while the surrounding circumstances, activities, and trends of life constantly flow and change, and they sure do. I have set the Lord always before me. It's not something the Lord did. It's something the psalmist did. He says he constantly set the Lord right at the front of his heart and mind. Now, the psalmist knows, we know this, the psalmist knows that God is omnipresent. In other words, God is always everywhere, all the time. He says, I can make my bed in hell. (laughs) Kind of shocks us. Can't get away from you. Doesn't matter where I go, you're there. So he's not talking about the omnipresence of God. He's talking about what he does with that. I have set the Lord always before me. Sometimes meaning nothing but Good intention, but sometimes you can get the impression that, remember the four spiritual laws? I don't know when you've looked at one of those last. I was in, man, I was in high school when we had the four spiritual laws. And you can get the impression, you get this little picture of self on the throne, and then you flip the page, and self is off the throne, and Jesus is on the throne. It's absolutely true as far as it goes, but you can get the impression that it's just this one-time decision with nothing else following. You just put him on the throne and you're off the throne. And that's how it works, getting going in the Christian life. It's kind of true, except that it gives the impression that it's a one-time decision that actually takes place right at the moment of conversion. But conversion is just the place where that process of enthronement starts. It's not where it finishes. 
David tells a great deal about himself when he, the man of God, the man after God's own heart, as he's known, he says he must constantly, that's what that word always means, he must must constantly set the Lord before him. He wasn't a man after God's own heart by accident. He wasn't perfect. But I take it to mean that David was constantly relearning, almost forcing himself to never regard anything in his life that was constantly, he's busy, a lot on his mind, a lot of enemies, a lot of kingdoms, a lot of things going on, but with everything going on that he never regarded anything in his life as detached. There were other things, but they weren't detached from setting God right there, right there. Just like a compass. For a compass to work, I used to, when I was a little kid, have a hard time figuring out compasses because I'd, I'd want them to work just as you turn and point them in directions. Of course, the only way a compass works is you have to know where magnetic north is. You have to have the compass tuned to that, and then all the other directions are reliable. That's what David's talking about. I set, I set the Lord always before me in everything else that I'm doing, and it keeps everything else from being shaken. Maybe you can put it another way. The Christian life truly does begin with a specific decision about Jesus Christ. You can't begin the Christian life at all without that wholehearted decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. But while the Christian life begins with a one-time decision, it's not the decision that you can leave behind. When I was a kid, I learned to ride a two-wheel bike. And my brother, I can remember my brother Peter running down the sidewalk with me holding the bike because dad was too cheap to buy those little training wheels that you put on. And he would hold it up and run along beside me until I could get going. And I learned to do it. And then I got my first car. And I left the bike thing behind. Before I had the bike, I had a tricycle. And I left that behind, got the bike, learned to ride the bike, left that behind, got the car. Then I learned to drive a standard. And each one was putting back something behind me as I moved on to something new. That's not a good illustration of what David is talking about. There's a better one. Here's what I think David had in mind. Here's the sense in which David carries meaning when he says he always set the Lord before him. It's like when you learn your ABCs. Remember when you were in school? I don't know what grade. What grade is it where you learn your ABC? Remember that great hymn? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And you go through and you learn the whole alphabet. You did too. Here's the thing, though. That's not a learning that you ever left behind. I mean, you probably read C, spot, run. But it's the same alphabet. Four score and seven years ago. Ask not what your country, you know, 
It's the same letters. It's the same alphabet. You don't leave them behind. You just develop and use them more and more in richer and fuller ways. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Same alphabet. You continue using the same letters every day of your life. You never leave them behind. It's it's a beginning that stays with you. That's what David does with his commitment to the Lord. He says he's constantly setting it in motion. He's continually, always keeping it right in front of him. So there's the practice. Point number two. There really is no Christian life without this. Let me ask you, do you continually set the Lord before you? And we'd say, well, I think, yeah, I, I try to do that, Pastor Don, and I do too. Then the real question is, how, how do we know how well we're doing at that? How do I know? How do I know if I'm really continually, always setting the Lord right before me. This psalm, fortunately, doesn't just give the one-verse instruction. It gives us some tests. They're in the same psalm. It's a beautiful exposition, really. Does the Lord bring you more joy? Here are the questions to ask. Do I set the Lord constantly before me in everything I do? A. Does the Lord bring you more joy than anything else? Psalm 16, 2. I say, I say to the Lord, this is what I say to the Lord. I, I, I make words. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That's a powerful phrase. I, I have... I have no good apart from you. I have a lot of good things in my life. I have marriage, family, job. I have a lot of good things. But not apart from you, I have no good things. I have nothing. I don't take that verse to mean that we Christians just enjoy prayer meetings and Bible studies. And I don't take it to mean there's nothing else, no other activity that we find pleasurable or fulfilling or worthwhile. I do take the verse to mean that my relationship with the Lord is the life center that nourishes and gives meaning and significance to everything else I do, whether you eat or drink, Paul says. You, you, you bring the glory of God into all the things you do. I trace good gifts back to his hand. They don't just happen. I bring him into all the other pleasures. I try to guard against the idolatrous enjoyment of anything else by putting it in first place. I make sure that the pleasures of my life are kept within the boundaries of his word and will. That's part of what it means. I have set the Lord always before me. And also, I do take this verse to mean I consider everything else I do, however good, however enjoyable, everything else in my life is expendable compared to my relationship with the Lord. Doesn't mean it's worthless, not good, but it's expendable in comparison with this. 
here's the thing. God will lovingly test us in this. He will find countless creative, wise ways, varied ways to dry up or remove or temporarily take away any number of legitimate things from my life to see if I complain about their removal. And he'll do it to reveal to me places where the other things in my life have been bordering on idolatry. And here's the important point. I do take this verse to mean that I would put more effort. This is haunting to me. I think it means that I would put more effort and energy into maintaining my relationship with the Lord than I would put into anything else. I find that very searching. Here are some other questions. B, do you build all of your personal relationships with the intent of honoring the Lord in them? It's in the same Psalm, Psalm 16, 3 and 4. Look what he says. As for the saints in the land, the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not, will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Now, I know, I get it. There is an important role in reaching the lost for Christ. You need those relationships to, to, to tell people about Jesus. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the kind of relationships that form your character, the ones you work at building. And it's noteworthy to see the way the psalmist evaluated Every person. You, you can see what was uppermost in the psalmist David's mind. You, you talk to people. You do too. You talk to people and you can quickly see what's uppermost, what's important to them. We like to be with people who are fun, who make us laugh, who listen to us, who build our self-esteem. The psalmist measures everyone else by his or her commitment to the Lord. Find people who set the Lord always before them like you're trying to do and make those people your delight. Walk with them. Learn from them. Associate with them. There are people who have no interest in God heading in a totally different direction. And the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, just says, I, I, I really don't need to know all of them. I don't take their name on my lips. That's not where I'm going with my life. I want to reach them, but I am not going to be shaped by them at all. So there's a lot to learn here. I mean, it can cost to keep the Lord always before you. David says it, it has a lot to do with your friendships and relationships. I'll tell you if you truly delight in the Lord. If the Lord is your highest love and delight, you will be drawn to people who share that delight. That's just the way it works. 
If I'm drawn to people who have no interest in spiritual things, I mean drawn to them, attracted to them, then like it or not, regardless of what I might say about God, I'm revealing my indifference toward him. It's the opposite of setting the Lord always before me. Here's another test. C. Do you listen to the Lord when he speaks to your heart? It's in 16 verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. Here's what I wrestle with, what we wrestle wrestle with. You can get to the place where you, without meaning to, without planning to, you can drift into the place where you live your Christian life on two different levels. The one that people see and the one that you are when nobody else sees and no one else knows. It's easy to have a part of your life that's spiritually well-maintained because it's outward and it's observable. And then as time goes by, it's easy to learn that we can compromise in some inner areas of life without anyone else really knowing and without anyone else holding us accountable. And resisting that downward drift is what David means when he says, when the Lord speaks, he speaks to me. He outlines an experience we can all identify with. You can too. When God just talks to your heart. God talks to your heart. He's very faithful. He's not talking about a church service. Might not even be talking about his personal study of the revealed will of God in the Old Testament law. I think the process he's talking about here and the way he talks about the night seasons, it's much more personal. It's much more inward. When he's alone and quiet, he says, God God comes into my thoughts. God uses David's conscience. He talks to David about how his life is going. God goes over the day with David. And here's how David sets the Lord always before him. He says, I I, I listen. I just listen when God speaks. God corrects small deviations in David's life. There were massive failures where he didn't do that. But we know that for the most part, this was a concern of his. Here's David's prayer. Psalm 19, 12, and 13. And you can see what he's thinking about here. Who who can discern his secret errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Keep the Lord right in front of you. Listening to the voice of the Lord in your thoughts might be the acid test of continually holding the Lord before you. Anyone who can read can study the Bible. But deep, genuine, life-transforming faith doesn't come by reading. That's why it says comes by hearing. Hearing. The test of my nearness to God, to the Lord, is simply this. What do I do? What do I do when the thought comes, 
you know, Don, I really think I ought to. And how I respond to that has everything to do with setting the Lord always before me. You had that experience? It's, it's almost hard to define sometimes something you're doing and it's, it, you can't find a verse in the Bible that says you're not supposed to. Most of us live a higher level than that. It's just the Lord saying, you know, do you really think you need to? Or, or something that needs doing, but you're busy. You know, really think you should call so-and-so. And, and what you do next is determining whether you set the Lord always right before you right before you. Last, last question, the test. After all these years of following the Lord, does he still steer your hands and feet? It's in the last part of verse 8. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I said earlier, most, most people are right-handed. It's the hand of most people's strength and activity. If I'm going to throw a ball, if I'm playing golf, uh, throwing a Frisbee, hammering a nail, operating a drill, I've had a few experiences like that. It'll be in this hand. Be in this hand. I, I do most of the things I do with this hand. Psalmist says, this is, get that picture. He says, this is where I keep God. This is, this is where I keep him. I'm not sure we wouldn't be better off if we didn't always use the inward organ of the heart as the dwelling place of God. I know, I know the Bible talks about it. But I wonder if we might do better off if we started talking about the things I do with this hand right here. God steers and shapes and directs. This demystifies it, puts it right out there where everyone can see it. We shake hands. We clap hands. You make a list with hands. You write out checks, if you still do that, with your hands. You give your offering. You point your finger at people. You open your Bible. You rob a friend. The right hand is a good place to keep God, indeed. I had an interesting conversation not all that long ago with a young adult from this church. It's on a Sunday night. She came up to me and spoke to me about her need to realign her life with God. And she talked about some of the careless habits that she had allowed to take hold of her life. Later, she came by my office and she was starting to second guess this initial step of returning to Christ. And she was second-guessing it because she said she just realized she wasn't living any differently than the rest of her Christian friends in the church. I asked her the difference between the way her Christian friends lived and the way her non-Christian friends lived. She said, well, outside of church, there really isn't any difference. They went to the same clubs, they listened to the same music, they watched the same movies, they shared all the same interests, and she was quite surprised 
when I told her I wasn't sure that she had Christian friends and non-Christian friends. I think all you have is non-Christian friends, some of whom go to church regularly. Going to church is very important, more important than most Christians realize, but it doesn't make you a Christian. It's more and more we need to think about young, old, doesn't matter what, what we do with our hands and our eyes and our feet. All of this is what Jesus meant, I think, when he told his disciples, apparently followers of Jesus need to hear this. He told his disciples that the emphasis wasn't just on turning to Christ or accepting Christ. The emphasis was like a branch in a vine abiding in Christ. I think that's what David meant when he said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I will not be shaken. I am haunted sometimes by these words in Revelation, and I'm almost done. I have this against you. This is Jesus speaking to his church at Ephesus. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Oh, God. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come and remove you. Remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Those are Jesus' words to the church. This is a church that didn't fail to make a start. This is a church that didn't set the Lord always before her. She did occasionally, but not always. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Let's try it one more time. Don't worry if you can't get all the way through it, but try it without looking. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. One more time. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.